This is VGC Video Game Cast, episode number three, for March 21st, 2006. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of VGC Video Game Cast. I'm your host, Devin Taylor, and with me, as always, is Joey Ginsburg. Hello. Tonight our topics are Twilight Princess, third-party port trouble with Revolution, DS Lite versus DS, games to PC do they sell, games to movies, and what will be talked about this Thursday at GDC. Alright, we're going to jump right in and talk about Miyamoto revealing that Twilight Princess will have Revolution Controller capabilities. Now this is huge because because Twilight Princess was delayed... The Revolution and Twilight Princess may launch together. And there might be two versions of the game. There could be a game for GameCube and Revolution. There could be one game that has the Revolution controller capability already built into it. And since it's been being since it's been delayed for over a year, the possibilities of Revolution compatibility are are really good because now you you might be able to slash on this with your your hand. And on the screen, Link could slash. It's really neat. Uh, this could really show off the idea of the Revolution controller and really set the standard for third-party developers. This is great for Zelda, because since it's been improving over the past few years with each new game coming out, every new game has been coming out with new stuff for the gamer that we haven't been really expecting. This gives us the idea that Twilight Princess could be the best Zelda game of all time, don't you think? Oh, I agree, because uh, with the Legend of Zelda series, they're always trying to throw throw a new bone, so to speak, into every new game they make. Like, you look at Majora's Mask, the whole mask element, and warping back in time within a period of three days. And with the uh, Minish Cap, latest Zelda game for the Game Boy Advance, you have uh, the idea of shrinking down in order to create new levels. So I think with, with Zelda, the limit is creativity. As long as you're creative... You can always make new ideas to make the series better. And I think this is great, because if you look at the Revolution Controller, uh, for people who have played Zelda before, if you go to shoot a bow, or go into one of those first-person modes, what you can do is you could, you could access the bow, and then point at what you want to shoot, and then shoot it, just like it's a first-person shooter, although you're using uh, the bow and arrow, but the Revolution Controller will be perfect for those type of clips. And it'll be really neat to see how you could do it with the sword fighting. So I'm really excited for this. Well, coming back to that both, and this is great when you're in a quick part where you have to get that shot off. When you have to use that joystick, it's, sometimes it's hard to aim. Now you actually have your own hand, which is the most precision thing you can have for a game. You actually can point to the exact spot you want to shoot at. So it'll actually give the gamer a little bit, you know, faster reflexes, which is always a positive. Mm -hmm. and, and keeping in line with Nintendo... Uh, the DS Lite was released in Japan not, a uh, not far back, and the DS Lite is flying off the shelves. But before we get to that, this is the DS Lite versus the original DS. Now, the DS Lite is much smaller than the original DS, and it has the speakers in the same place, and you guys may have seen pictures of it before. The stylus is now located on the side of the machine rather than the back, and the microphone has been, has been moved to the hinge, instead of the base of the machine. 
Now this is great if you want to talk into the machine to to like talk to your dog for Nintendo dogs, for instance. You don't you no longer have to talk to the bottom of your machine. You can talk directly into the, the dog, and the dog will respond. But it might be hard for your people who are playing WarriorWare to do one of those those mic mini games where you have to blow into a microphone if you have to press your lips against the center of the hinge. So all in all, I think it's better. But it does have its advantages and disadvantages. Also, you might be wondering why it's going to be called DS Lite. This is because the DS Lite has a capability that you can adjust the brightness on it, unlike the original DS, which is just one brightness no matter what. This gives the gamer more capability over how they like it. It's to their preference, which is always the best because the consumer is always right. Nintendo's always thinking about ways of improving it. I think DS Lite is a very big step in portability improvement. Yeah, you look at uh, like Game Boy Advance SP with the brighter light. They have the adjustable light, and that's very popular now. And now you have the DS light, which is not only lighter than the original DS, but it has this brightness control setting that you can alter before the game starts to what brightness level you want. Unfortunately, you can't change this in-game at this time because the game would actually have to have a brightness setting built into the software. But before the game starts on the DS light, you can change between three lightness settings... And I think it's really great because you want to have, like if you're in an environment that's very bright, you can have it at a low bright setting and save your, your battery, but if you're in a very dark situation and you want to see everything in the game, you can turn it to a very high brightness, or, or if you're in the sun, turn it to a very high brightness so you can still see, and uh, even though you use more battery, it's, it's purely based on what the consumer wants. So I think it, it's a great step forward. And also to be completely honest, I own a DS, and I love it. But I'm not going to be going crazy to this store to lay out 100 to $200 on this new DS Lite. My, my DS right now gives me everything I need. It allows me to play my games. It allows me to see them. I have no problem. Though, for somebody who does not have a DS at all, who has kind of been thinking about, I don't know, do I really want to buy it? DS Lite is perfect for them because they're getting all the qualities of the DS, but more instead of having to throw their old DS away because they never really owned one. Mm -hmm. I agree, but like like me, I can't wait to get the DS Lite. I think the enamel navy looks great. I can't wait to get my hands on it. It's going to be a great system. I think it's overly better than the original DS, and I, I'm willing to shell out the money to get the, the new DS. I, I like it that much. So uh, back to Japan. Now overseas, the DS Lite has already launched, but since around the holiday time, Japan has been completely sold out of Nintendo DSs, both the Lite and the DS. The light was not out by the, the holiday season. So, during the holiday season, the original DS sold out. You couldn't find it in all of Japan. It, it was, it really is a madhouse trying to get your hands on one of these for the holidays. And in March, just a couple of weeks ago, they released the DS Lite, and that too is flying off the shelves. I believe they have a, a more successful launch with the DS Lite than they did with the original DS launch. And, and that's really great. And uh, I think one of the main reasons why we haven't seen it in the U.S. yet is because they're trying to satisfy demand in overseas first. That is always true, because with most Nintendo games, they always preview in Japan a few weeks earlier or maybe a few months earlier than it does in the U.S. This is just for the Nintendo company to make sure that they are ready for the U.S., because they know U.S. has very high standards and their gamers really always want the best. Now, if you're a really hardcore gamer, you can look online and purchase a DS Lite a lot more than what it actually would originally cost in the store. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. But now, moving on, 
Metroid Prime Hunters came out today, and I purchased that game for the DS, but just recently, uh, there's been a Metroid movie announced uh, being in the works, and it brings up an interesting topic. Games Gone Movies. Now, there's been many movie games, and uh, there's a lot of movie games coming out soon. Well, I'm sorry, rather, games to movies, not movie games. That's true. Like, there's a few popular past movies that were games originally gone movies. I like the original Mario, Mario Super Brothers, which was a very long ago. Doom, which is a lot more recent. And the two Resident Evils, which were very great movies, I must say. And now just recently launched, we have Metroid, Prince of Persia, Silent Hill, and there's a Halo movie in the works, too. Well, the most recent one is the Silent Hill, because if you go to the movies now and you see kind of a violent movie, most likely in the previews for upcoming movies, you will see the Silent Hill one. Yeah, Silent Hill is coming out very soon. And, and one of the main questions about this is, do the games cross the medium well? Are the games held in their original form when they reach the big screen? See, like with the Mario movie, many people thought it was a live-action movie with a couple of Mario twists thrown in and given a weird storyline to try to make it all work. I personally like the movie, although many people would argue it's one of the worst movies ever made. Well, I feel a lot of these movies actually do justify the game very well. You, if you've seen Doom, they actually dedicate a five-minute scene in the movie just to the first-person shooter that we've all known and come to love when it comes to Doom, right? Mm-hmm. Although Doom wasn't a, it was a very successful movie, but although it wasn't the greatest video game movie ever made, it was still a very great movie, and I think it held the Doom name very well. And uh, I, I want to ask a question. Do you think that making games movies helps or hurts either industry, the movie industry or the game industry? I would say helps. When it comes to like a game like Metroid, that's sold a lot through the game systems, but it's never been in the movies or had any other fields to pop to make itself popular. I feel with this movie, it'll kind of more broaden other people, mm -hmm. and people who aren't Metroid fans might come to like the game after seeing this movie. So they get money from the movie, and it's like free advertising for the games in the future. Yes, that, that that's great. It's almost it's also great for the movie director because. Most of the times, these movies do really keep true to the game. Mm -hmm. So the movie director doesn't have to come up with this huge new plot and all these different things. They can just look at the game, add it up, spice it up, which they do very well. And I think that is also helps the movies out, too. Mm -hmm. I, I think both industries do complement each other. Although movies tend to be created into games a lot more often than games coming to movies because the movie houses like Paramount and the Fox, etc., are looking for the quick buck. But uh, I, I think that video games are really starting to make a name for themselves in their medium, as well as games being known as the movies in the game medium. Also, I think that when a game goes to a movie, is much better than a movie going to a game. Oh, yeah. Because I think when people realize that a movie is such, so great, game companies jump on the, the jump on the high horse, you know, and just get on the bandwagon, and of course have to try to make a game for it. Though, they really sometimes can't capture the, what the movie really tried to represent, making the game not as great. Though, when I've, from the movies I've seen that ga represent games, that games to movies, the movies always capture what the game is about. Mm -hmm. Not directly storyline sometimes, but they have a lot of aspects where it's like, oh yeah, that was in the game, I remember playing that. They mm -hmm. really capture that nicely, don't you think? Mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree with you there. And uh, I, I want to mention about the Nintendo Revolution coming up soon is that uh, with the controller, as we mentioned before with Twilight Princess functionality, with the controller, it might be hard for third parties, third parties to 
ported to port their games to Revolution, such as Activision, Midway, EA, THQ, Ubisoft, etc., it might be hard for them to make games that are cross cross platform, like having a game come out for PlayStation 2, Xbox, and Revolution, because Revolution is so different, it might be harder. It's true, like in the past, all three controllers are different in their own ways, but always have their very quick similarities of having usually two to four buttons that are your main buttons, usually a joystick and a D-pad, and all this is always the same, but now, Nintendo has kind of gone totally outside the square, outside the box, thinking creatively, and want to make the gamer feel as free as possible by kind of making a remote control looking game mm-hmm. controller. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's just, uh, the one good thing that might come out of this is that game developers, instead of creating ports, might just make more exclusive content for the Revolution, which is always good. As we've seen with the DS, there's lots of exclusive content, which is really helping the system flourish. But uh, a negative with this is, With the uneasy ports, you could have a a loss of support. Like, for instance, if you have a Resident Evil 5 coming out for Xbox 360 and PS3, you're more than likely not going to get the same exact game on the Revolution. Yeah, that's true. But also with these third-port companies, I I mean, not saying that each, like, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo don't have a huge range of gamers, but I think when a a third-party sees, should I take between Nintendo... Or should I take between Sony and Microsoft? I think they're going to take the two companies which kind of brought a wider mm-hmm. range of gamers than just one company of Nintendo. And you see, what I think is going to happen is like companies like EA, which pretty much make games for every single platform you can possibly think of, they're going to make, a, a, let's say, a Madden title. They're going to make a Madden title for 360, they're going to make a Madden title for PS3, but they'll also make a Madden title for GameCube. They're not going to leave that system out. So what I'm gonna, what's going to wind up happening is you're going to see two very similar games. One for Xbox, one for PS3, and pretty much a whole new experience on the Revolution. Which is going along with what Nintendo said, where they're saying that uh, the Revolution is more of a dessert console. Mm-hmm. Where you have people who are choosing between the main course of PS3 and, Re- and Xbox 360, and once they choose which one they want, they might also pick up a Revolution because of how cheap it is, and because of how much of a different experience it is than the other consoles. Also, this might make game companies take a little bit longer to make their games due to the extra work they have to put in to make, format that game for the different controller and different console. Though, even though it might take longer, that gives them more time to add stuff and make it more, you know, modernized for the gamer to have the best experience possible. Yeah, I definitely agree. Third parties are, are either going to port a lot of titles and, and change the controller functionality to the fit the revolution, or they're going to forget about porting, and they're going to just make exclusive titles. So we'll see how that turns out. Well, keeping the house third-party ports make games for a different type of consoles, we're going to get away from the third party, but we're going to talk about how games go to each console and the PC, which you might not know. Mm-hmm. Uh, games to PC are, are very important, because the PC is always evolving. Uh, the next generation of PCs with Microsoft Vista and... Uh, and uh, DirectX 10 are going to be very powerful, they're going to have great graphics, and they're going to be constantly evolving while Xbox 360 and PS3 sit on your living room floors for five years. So uh, PC games are very important. By the end of this cycle, PC games will be more powerful than Xbox 360 or PS3. But the real difference here is between people's preferences. Either they like PC games, or they like console games. 
Many gamers like both, but but they're different experiences. That's why people like both. I mean, most console gamers play PC games, and that is because there's there's just a whole different experience. Like, if you're sitting in a, in a computer chair in front of a computer and a keyboard and a mouse and a screen, it's a it's a very a very enclosed area. It's you, the screen, whoever else is online. And with a console game, it could be you, your two friends, and the big screen TV with surround sound while you play games and then push pause and change the channel to a football game while you guys watch and eat popcorn. So it's, a, it's an incredibly different experience. Well, hold on. I got a question for you. Be honest about this. If you had a choice between buying a game for a console, not any one particularly, or a game for the PC, which one would you choose? Well, it depends. If you had a first-person shooter and it came out for two systems, you'd most likely want to go for a PC title because of how easy the mouse is. I mean, if you look at any mouse uh, first-person shooter, like Counter-Strike, mm -hmm. for instance, and you compare that to any game such as Halo 2 for the Xbox, uh, there's no comparison. It's much easier to control on the, on the PC than it is on the, uh, the consoles. But that doesn't change the fact that the FPS is still good on the consoles. They're, once again, they're different experiences. Well, that's true, but when you look at most PC games, usually they'll actually be a little bit cheaper than the console games. Though, not more people are kind of inclined to get the console game. The reason for this is, when a game is advertised by a company, the company usually has rights over the system. And when they have the rights over the system, of course they're plugging the system in the advertisement also. There are so many different computer companies, and there's no in particular one, they don't have the rights over these games to say, well, we're advertising our computer and this game. Mm -hmm. Unlike how a game can advertise with a system, mm -hmm. which people will actually probably go buy the game for. Yeah, what I think you're getting at is, like, you can buy a GameCube bundled with a game. Mm -hmm. You're not going to buy a PC bundled with a game. But even when I see, like, an advertisement for Dell, you'll see the advertisement for Dell, the Internet, and capabilities. You're not going to find out the capabilities. Why? You play PC games in the Dell also. Though when you look at a game for Xbox 360... They're going to be saying, you can play for Xbox 360, you can do all these different capabilities, and at the very end of the commercial, they'll say, also for PC. <laughs> Buy Far Cry with your new Dell! <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's kind of, advertising kind of pushes the game more to the console, yet when people realize how great a game is on the PC, they kind of become hooked. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, well, yeah, I'm going to agree with you, because if you look at, like, games like Counter-Strike, when I'm using a lot for examples... It's just so addicting. You play that game once, and if you were to play that on a console, it's just not the same game. Mm -hmm. I mean, you play Counter-Strike on the PC, and you're pointing, you're clicking, you're, you're killing everybody, you get killed, but you respawn, you're all happy and everything. You go to, to uh, the Xbox version of it, and it's just like you're using your thumb to control the gun. It just loses a whole lot of the gameplay, and you just feel like you're playing a different game. Also, when I look at a PC game that is very wide known, it kind of makes me more intrigued because I have the capability of interacting with people over a CPU. Because I'd rather be playing against people which are more random, more variant in their actions, and kind of don't know what's expected when a CPU is a special programming and you don't actually get to talk to a human being mm -hmm. in the interaction, of course. Well, there's two things that consoles are trying to do to compensate for that. What they're trying to do is they're making more advanced AI. PS3 and Xbox 360 have incredible AI capabilities for their games. And uh, the second thing they're going to try to do is... Uh, Xbox Live, which... Yes. I mean, yes. Xbox 360 and Xbox have completely captured very well 
Because now you can actually play against people while you're on the console instead of having to go to the PC to interact with people. Yes, yes. Online games on the Xbox 360 and Xbox are really starting to push the bar for console games to get caught up with the the PC games. Yeah, that is true. And this is this is something also that PS that Sony and Nintendo kind of have to work on. I feel because I've always been a Sony and Nintendo fan over Microsoft, of course, and yet I still don't get. I can't talk to somebody while I'm playing the game. So I kind of actually have moved toward the PC in a way. Well, I, I like Xbox Live. The only thing I'd have to say I don't like about Xbox Live is you go on Xbox Live, and it's not like you're talking to people about the game. You're talking to people who are talking about what they ate for lunch, what they did at school, and how they did inappropriate things. Uh, <laughs> it's not a fun community on Xbox Live. It's really more trash talk, and I think what they're trying to do with... Uh, with the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection, especially Metroid Prime Hunters, only having chat before and after. I mean, of course, that's for a technical standpoint as well, that they can't do that. But another main feature of that is because they'd rather not have it in the game. So, they, they, like, Nintendo's very family-oriented. They're not really for people yelling about how much the other person sucks while they're playing the game. That is true also. But even with the PC, you do get a lot of trash talking. I know, because I do do some trash talking when I play the games also. <laughs> yeah, I am guilty of trash talking as well. But now we're moving on to this week. This week is very special in the industry of video games. GDC is upon us now. Oh, man. I've been waiting for this since TGS, pretty much. And, uh... Well, hold on. For many of our listeners, tell them what GDC is. The Game Developers Conference. It's not really more of an industry event, rather than it's a developer event. Where companies will go out and they will they will talk about new way new things their consoles can do, and developers will announce new types of games and new games coming out. But the big stories of GDC are going to be the Sony conferences and the Nintendo conferences. Now the Nintendo conference is what people are mostly looking forward to, so we're going to touch on that. Now, unfortunately, most of the Revolution info will be held until E3, but some of the info could slip to help fans bear bear the weight for E3. Plus, the DS will be talked about extensively. They'll be talking about the Wi-Fi, about the capabilities, new games coming out for the Wi-Fi service, because now, since Tetris DS and Prime Hunters came out, we have to wait for more Wi-Fi games again. And the Blue Ocean strategy, which they've been pushing since the very beginning, which is that they want to go a separate route from the other comp- from their competition, will be stressed more and more as well. But I think also how you're talking about they might leak some information. This is a very big for Nintendo, since... They can't have every gamer go to E3 because that's just impossible, you know? I mean, I know half the people I know who actually know E3 would die to get tickets to it. So by leaking some information, this is giving every gamer who likes to find out information about upcoming stuff, they have the best opportunity of getting this free information, you know, real quickly and real soon. Mm -hmm. If you look at it like a metaphor, it's like GDC, they're going to be giving us one little kibble and... By the time E3 rolls around, we're getting the entire dish, man. It's going to be really great at E3. But GDC should still satisfy fans. I'm really hoping that they're going to reveal something because everyone knows DICE was a big disappointment. Uh, Although they they did uh, reveal that Metroid Prime Hunters would have voice support, they didn't really touch anything on the revolution. And Reggie even knew that the fans were disappointed when he gave a speech later that night when when he was presenting the award at the... The DICE Awards, so... Well, also talking about the Wi-Fi, something that 
Metroid Prime Hunters does is they allow you to actually talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this is before the actual game and after the game. This allows you to maybe, like, know somebody, because when you come to, you might be able to even get somebody on your friends list, you know? Because mm-hmm. my friends list is kind of limited, because all the people I know I have a D, who have a DS and have that same game, yeah, they're on my friends list, that's it. You know, when I yep. play somebody in Mario Kart, I see mm-hmm. it as a great score, you know, great competition, I'd like to race that guy more often. Though, I can't get his ID because we can't talk in any way. Like, the biggest disappointment for me in Mario Kart DS was that if you're playing with a guy, and he's good, and you're good, and there's a split second, you're about to freaking beat the guy, and he gets a lightning bolt and passes you, I mean, then you want to you meet this guy. Either you're really mad at him, you want to talk to him, or you want to add him to your friends, your friends list with your friend code. And the problem was that you could not have any contact with this person whatsoever. No voice, no text, no anything. Now, the biggest part of voice chat in Metroid Prime Hunters is what you were saying is, after a game, you had a great game, and Joe Blow 47 comes up to you and says, Hey, Tippy Toad, want to be my friend? And you say, sure. And you have your friend code right there that you wrote down. You give it to him, he gives you yours. Voila. You have a brand new friend and you can play with him any time. This is a huge advancement over Mario Kart DS. This is also good for Nintendo because it's unifying the game community. This is like something that game that game developers always want to do. Because if you can develop a game community that is kind of unified as one, that's great for them because they know that their games are being effective. People are enjoying them. Also, with this, be having friends and be able to talk. Maybe there's a new game coming out that you know you like, but they're not really sure about. You can say, "Hey, you want to buy this? You know, we'll meet this time. You know, we can get each other on the friends list to kind of get." You kind of go through game over game over game by having friends, you know, instead of having one person who kind of likes this game, one person who doesn't, but now you know somebody who also likes every game you do. Mm-hmm. Now, what I want to touch on is uh, gamer tags on Xbox 360. They're, they're nice. You, you type in someone else's tag, you are friends for life. I mean, he comes in your game, you can invite him anytime, he can invite you anytime, you can talk to each other. But one of the disadvantages for Nintendo is that they're using friends codes that are different for every game sold. For instance, if you buy Tetris DS and then you lose Tetris DS and buy another one, you lost all your friends and they lost you. You have to get all their codes back. And that sucks. But uh, you talk to Nintendo about this and they'll say, well, we want people to have control over what friends they want for each game. Which is nice, but I still think the gamer tag overall is a better system. The other thing that a gamer tag in Xbox 360 allows you to do is that you can play with your friend and other people, just random mm-hmm. other people. When it comes to Wi-Fi, you actually have to go to a separate category called friends list, mm-hmm. and that is where you only can play with your friends. You can't have just any random person come in. So if you have only one or two friends online, you can't get a full game of four, which kind of deprives the fun of the game. Uh, man, there's nothing that makes me more angry about Mario Kart DS. I mean, you go to friends list, and I have one friend online at that time. That one friend comes in, and then we want to play with two other people. So exactly what you're saying, Joey. I, I just can't take it. I don't want to face him alone. Mm-hmm. Because when you have two people playing Mario Kart, you're in first place, he's in second place to the very, very, very end, and then he gets something that, that pretty much screws you over. I mean, yeah, Devin, you, like, you and me know each other, you're on my friends list, I've played against you in, like, with download play and actually multiplayer, I know how good you are, and I, like, you, we know who will win a race between us, 
But then when you play with friends, it's just you and him. Well, I already know who's the winner. What's the point of playing, you know? Plus, you have two friends versus two other people. You two can kind of team up and <laughs> take out the other players while avoiding each other. Yeah, but also, even when you're playing team, like, if you actually were to play a team, you will, you probably will get friends after that, you know? Because mm -hmm. they're like, well, you guys were a great team. Yeah, you guys good. I want to see how good you guys are individually. You know, maybe if I were your teammate, it kind of allows for more stuff to come. Okay, and we are going to move on to our next segment called Preview Review. BGC Preview Review. Well, let's start out with our preview this week. We're going to preview a game called Kingdom Hearts 2. I bet you guys have all heard about Kingdom Hearts 1, which is a great game. Everybody loved it. This is a game that utilizes an idea called Hybrid. They combined the idea of Final Fantasy games and Disney into one completely different game than any other Disney game and Final Fantasy game. The first one sold tremendously by having the character Sora try to fight the darkness or monsters to save Disney characters through different Disney movies, Disney stories, and have multiple worlds and multiple characters that people have known to grow up and love. Also, while you're playing a world you might never know, but then a Final Fantasy character jumps out, you get to play some Final Fantasy stuff, so everyone's kind of getting their cake and eating it too. In this new one, Sora again will be exploring different worlds in the, in the idea of Kingdom Hearts, plus new Disney worlds like Mulan, Beauty and the Beast, and Pirates of the Caribbean, while visiting some old worlds that were mentioned in the previous game. Also, a new drive is what they call it, is a new type of battling command that lets Sora change into a variety of new forms, altering his skills and abilities. This allows for combos, powerful new cooperative attacks with members, and this is also another layer of strategy that adds to the social satire of the game. And don't forget, there's going to be some new cameo appearances by popular Final Fantasy characters, but I don't want to listen to spoil it, you got to have to play the game to be surprised. And also, there, don't forget the Disney characters. There's always a large ensemble of them, always coming in different parts to give you a refreshing of past movies that you've loved and that you've grown up with. Now it's time for the review. For today's review, we are reviewing Tom Clancy, Ghost Recon, Advanced Warfighter. That's otherwise, a <laughs> otherwise known as Graw on Xbox Live. Now, this game is a great game. It's a little complicated, but if you get used to it, past all the frustration, and, and you're really good at these type of games, you will love this game. It's kind of like StarCraft on the ground. It, it's a very great game. It, it's a, a third-person, squad-based shooter. And it, it feels almost, in a way, like a first-person game, even though you see the third person. It, it, it's just great how they set it up. Uh, and uh, one of the main... The main like positive points of this game is 16 person online this online mode is great there are plenty of options there, there are so many different things there's three different teams red blue and green and it's just so complicated yet so intuitive it's like you're actually in the war it's, it's kind of like socom and and like uh, a more action shooter mixed into one and i think it's it's a great game uh because of its online support and how great I, I like this game. I, I'm really going to give this I'm gonna give this game an 8.7 out of 10. Also, for the game, we kind of should probably put a pre, uh, warning on it saying, Patience needed. Oh yeah, there's plenty of frustration when you're first trying to learn the game. 
But once you get all, all the ideas down, the game moves very swiftly. You can command all your squad. You can command helicopters, scouts, tanks. You can command pretty much anything in your arsenal you want to command. And now for the, the second review, we're going to review Tetris DS. Now, Tetris DS is a very good game for the Nintendo DS. It's been, well, we've had uh, Nintendo DS coming out with more and more great games. Uh, we touched on Prime Hunters. Uh, Prime Hunters is a great game also. But right now we're going to talk about Tetris DS. It has six different modes. Touch mode, puzzle mode, uh, push mode, mission mode, standard mode, and catch mode. All these modes are, are very intuitive. I, I've never played anything Tetris like this. Even the standard mode, you can, you can play line clear mode, which is pretty much Mario advancing through all different levels. Now, each one of these modes has a different, a different classic Nintendo character as its background. Like, uh, touch mode is balloon fight. Puzzle mode is Yoshi's cookie. We have, uh, uh push mode, which is Donkey Kong. Uh, mission mode, which is Zelda. Standard mode, which is Mario. And catch mode, which is Metroid. Which is Metroid. All, the, all these different games gives Tetris a new twist that makes it very fun. You have 50 touch puzzle games. You have 200 regular puzzle games. And, and, and those type of puzzle games are going to keep you playing for a while. But the, one of the biggest things I like about this game is how you can play 10 people all at once uh, while you, in ad hoc mode, which uh, for those of you who don't know, when you're really close to another person with another with a DS, you can play with that person in the game. Uh, you can play 10 people with different modes. You can play push mode, mission mode, and standard mode while you're in uh, the multiplayer. Also, online is huge. Online, you can play... Four people online at one time items. with items, and you can play two people online at a time with items or with push. And, and this is a, a great achievement. That there's uh, team modes uh, online for this game. T this pushes it up another step. I think that with every release of a game, the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection is getting better. And, and for all these positives, I'm going to give this game an 8.4. But also I want to talk about that items that Devin mentioned kind of funny. Normal Tetris, yeah, you think it's not that tough, but also when you add items like a banana, a star, and red shell, all this different stuff kind of makes the game a little bit tougher when you're playing against somebody. Because you never know what you could get, and you never know when somebody's going to release a lightning bolt on you, and all your things are going to start flying down at quick quick speeds, and you don't know what to do. Oh, it's crazy. I definitely like the items. Items give Tetris a whole new twist. Like, you remember playing Tetris on the Game Boy. You've been playing it for a long time. And eventually, it, it gets kind of old, but you want to keep playing it because it's so addictive. Well, this just makes it completely even more addictive. It's pretty much times ten. Uh, this game is, so, is really great for a Tetris game. It's the most innovative I've seen a Tetris game be in a long time. And that's why it receives an 8.4 out of 10. And with that, these have been your reviews. But also, one last, one last thing for this that I really want to mention is that at first I was kind of skeptical about buying this game. Though, after I bought it, <laughs> I was so happy I bought it because this is the first game that's given me a challenge in a long time. Yeah, you think Tetris is just blocks. It's not that tough, you know, not that hard of a challenge. But when you play level 5 against Donkey Kong Push, I don't see how I can beat it. I mean... It's going to take me forever to master it. I mean, well, one of the greatest reasons why th this game is so successful and so so trans transgender is because uh, women like simple games that they can play for a long time. And Tetris is perfect. Tetris is a game you can learn in literally three seconds. 
And, and it's also so complex because so many different things can happen. All these different Nintendo themed music and everything is in this game. Everything from Zelda, Mario, Mario 3, you advance through all the levels. It's really a refreshing game. It's refreshing Tetris gameplay. And for Tetris, which has been around for so long, refreshing is not a word I normally use for the game. But also, I mean, with Tetris, it's such a neutral game for any type of gamer. I mean, you can be good at the original Tetris, or you might never even heard of Tetris for new gamers that are really young. It's a game that anyone can play and anyone can enjoy. I suggest it very hard, very hard, heavily. <laughs> it is a very <laughs> difficult game. <laughs> difficult to say as well. Yeah. And uh, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, for wrapping up, today we talked about Miyamoto revealing Twilight Princess will have revolution controller capability, third-party port trouble for revolution, DS versus DS Lite and a Japan shortage, what will be talked about at GDC... Games gone to movies, games to PCs, do they sell? And for our preview review, we had a preview of Kingdom Hearts 2 and a review of Tom Clancy, Ghost Recon, Advanced Warfighter. Also, I'd like to mention, we did get an email from a listener of ours that did like our podcast and gave us a few good suggestions. We, we, his name was Caesar, and he did suggest a lot of good stuff that we really did think about and try to incorporate into our podcast. Our email address is videogamecast at gmail.com. Remember, this is just for our listeners to try to tell us how we can improve, or if you liked a game that you want to know about or a game that you've played, we can maybe do it in our preview review if you send us an email. Yeah, submit games, submit uh, troubles you have with games, we might be able to help you through that. Submit topics you would like us to discuss. Uh, we would definitely like to thank Caesar. Uh, he's been a, a great help with us trying to formulate our next ideas for this podcast. Uh, sorry about the week interval, uh, and I think this has been a pretty good, a pretty good episode. I think I'm going to wrap it up with that. This has been your VGC of the week. I am Devin, and this is Joey, and we are going to say goodbye. goodbye.